Morning, church. Morning to those of you watching online as well. Glad to be with you here on this beautiful September 18th morning. Looking forward to having some fun out here today as well. We are in the second uh, installment, second message in this series began uh, last Sunday in the book of 1 Corinthians, seeing all of life through the gospel. This is a seven-week series, but we'll carry this on in the beginning of the new year, and it'll go on uh, for a series of months all the way until Easter Sunday, seeing all of life through the gospel. Now, if you were here last week, a little quick recap. We just looked at the opening uh, verse, nine verses of this letter, where the Apostle Paul is trying to set things up, and he starts with the positive, and there's a lesson for us here. He, there's, this is a congregation that has a lot of challenges some of you know this book, some of you don't. A lot of difficulty, sort of, you know, sort of a real, you know, gut level check of some challenges that this congregation has. And we've been looking at this book the church has for 2,000 years. And there's a lot of resonance with what it means, the difficulties of being a Christian in the world that we live in, including our world. But before he gets to these challenges, maybe this is good parenting, right? Before I'm going to get down and talk about what's going wrong, I want to start with what's right. And he affirms this. We talked about this last week in a message called Called and Gifted. And he said, listen, I want to start with what's right. I want to talk about the blessings that God has given to every single person who is a follower of Jesus. And he wants to affirm that. And I want to take a minute just to say how important it is for all of us. You know, seeing all of the life through the gospel. You ought to take every single day. I ought to take every single day, right? Even as I start this day and as I start tomorrow. And before I face the challenges of the day, before I face the challenges of my work or school or whatever it is that's coming my way, I want to start by affirming the truths that are true of me if, and are true of you if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. That God is, has changed your life and is changing your life. And the, and the core truths right, that Paul celebrates, that I want to celebrate, two fundamental truths, that God loves you deeply right before you ever wake up God loves you deeply that's why he sent his son into the world to die for your sins and he is with you all through till your very last breath in this life wanting to pursue with you his purpose for your life his purpose for my life this is what the bible says right this it's, it's you might call it a solution focused approach and that's where the Apostle Paul starts. And I want to kind of come back to that, not only today, but throughout the course of this series. Yes, we have challenges. Yes, we have difficulties. Yes, we have hard times in our lives. It will happen till the day we die. But we want to start every single day and remind ourselves that God loves us and God is with us. As Jesus said to his disciples, I am with you always, even until the final days. Now, this section where we are today, second section in chapter one, is an appeal, just 10 verses, is an appeal for unity based upon the gospel. And everything else that follows in this book really is based on these 10 verses, this appeal. The church is called to be an alternate community within the community. That's what the church is called to be, this including our church. We are called to be an alternate community within the community, or you might say an alternate city within the city. Jesus says, you are a city on a hill. What did he mean by that early metaphor? He's saying, listen, the world is broken. 
The world is falling apart. The world is, the curse of sin has, has permeated the entire human race. This is, this is how the Bible starts. But God has brought you and me into, the, into this world. He has birthed his church to be a city on a hill, to be an alternate community within the larger community that is characterized by self-giving love, right? They will know that you are my followers. They will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. Now, that's a high calling, but that's what the church is. And this, these few verses that we're going to read this morning is an appeal for unity, right? We all have a part to play if we're going to be an alternate community in the community. And then we need a power to do this work, to be an alternate community within the community. So follow along as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where we left off last Sunday, verses 10 through 18, in a message titled, Identity and Power. Identity and Power. The Apostle Paul says these words. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from close household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas or Peter. Another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? These are rhetorical questions. I think the answer to them is no. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and with eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Identity and power. A couple things he's going to say, really just two main things uh, in this passage. Number one, Christianity, Paul is going to say, is the end or should be the end of self-identity building, you might say, okay? Christianity is the end of self-identity building. Seeking validation outside of oneself, pretty popular concept, is not a modern phenomenon. We might think that, right, you know, depending on how old you are in this room, because it's such a big idea in our culture, certainly heightened by social media. But this idea that I'm seeking validation from other people, from other organizations, from, from, from institutions, from the things that I do, from the people that are around me, from those who follow me, right, that I'm seeking validation, I'm sort of creating and building some kind of personal brand or personal portfolio. That is very, seems very um, modern to us, but it is not a modern phenomenon. It's been the human nature project, seeking validation from outside of ourselves, from others, 
from the very beginning. Just let me take you back to a passage all the way back in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 11. Listen to these words. Verse 4. Then they said, they, who is they? The nations of the world. It's the early history of the Bible um, in, in the nations of the world, the creation of the human race. Come let us build a city, ourselves a city. This is for those of you who know the Tower of Babel story, Genesis 11. Come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered all over the whole earth. Okay? This is a summary question of all the nations of the world after God had started and created humanity, and in the first couple chapters, he gave them a mission. really hasn't changed. We call Genesis, or Matthew 28 the Great Commission, but the first Great Commission was Genesis chapter 1, when God said, listen, I've created humanity, I've created you in my image, and I want to send you all over the earth to represent me. Go and subdue the earth, go and show the world my way, get after it. But the nations of the world summarized in Genesis 11, they said instead of scattering, we want to gather. And we don't want to represent God's name. We don't want to be his vice regent. We don't want to be his voice. We want to represent our own, okay? Seeking validation outside of ourselves has been the human nature project from the beginning. And what was a tower and then a city, Babel becomes Babylon, okay? in the New Testament, becomes something even bigger. It becomes a symbol. The name Babylon is used almost 300 times in the Bible. But it goes from being a literal place, a literal city, to being a symbol. When you get to the end of the book of Revelation, some of you know this, there's this huge judgment. It's how the Bible ends. Revelation chapter 18, 19, at 20. And it's this, this judgment on the city of Babylon, and it's called the prostitute of Babylon. But it's not a literal city. By then, it's not a literal prostitute, the great whore of Babylon. It's representative of something. It's representative of human pride. That's what it is. It's a final judgment on the human seeking validation project that has been going on since the beginning of time. We want to make a name for ourselves. We don't want to represent God and be his image bearer. We want to make a name for ourselves. It's all about me. Okay? This has been the problem of human nature from the very beginning. This, it's, a, it's a shorthand, Babylon, for human pride. It's deeply embedded in human nature. It's the root, the root of all pain and misery, past and present. And listen, because it's in us, it's in the church, right? Because it's in us, I'm talking about human pride, I'm going to make a name for myself. It's all about me. Because it's in us, it's in the church. Okay, that's what he's trying to say. These believers did, back to our passage, what believers have been doing from the beginning of the church. They want to fit the ways of the world into the life of the church. You say, Rob, what are you talking about? Paul says, listen, my brothers and sisters, it's an appeal I want you to have, be of one mind and one heart, but this is what I hear. Chloe tells me, I'm hearing this from someone else, that I left the church, all seemed well. I baptized you in the name of Jesus. I tried to attach you to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your life. He is your righteousness. He is your um, hope. 
But somehow after I left, this is what I hear. I follow Apollos. Uh, there's another group saying, I follow Cephas. He's saying, listen, were you baptized in my name? You weren't baptized in my name. You were not baptized in Cephas's name. Was Paul crucified for you? Of course not. What you have here is not unique in, to, to our culture, but what you have in the first century, especially here in uh, Greece, is what we call a patronage culture. Just follow me. What's Paul talking about? What is a patronage culture? It's not how the world runs necessarily today. But in Paul's culture, we talked a little bit about this last Sunday, what a patronage culture is this. There are certain people who have a superior, let's say, status and wealth. And those people who have a particular uh, superior status and wealth, you might call them an aristocracy of a kind, they are given honor. They are given votes even by people who are inferior in status and wealth. And they do that in exchange for opportunities. They do that in exchange for protection. They do that in exchange for access. And, this what, and so what this church had done is these people came and they know Christ is their Savior. He calls them brothers and sisters, but they'd taken the ways of the world and they'd brought him into the life of the church. And they said, listen, I was baptized in the name of Paul. I was baptized in the name of Peter. I was baptized in the name of Apollos. And they had this kind of patronage culture. And it was, it was, it was destroying the church, right? They were trying to build an identity inside the church on something other than Jesus Christ. And Paul says, listen, this is why Paul says, you might think when you read this that Paul's sort of dismissing baptism. He's contradicting what he's saying in other parts of the scripture that baptism is very, very important if you're a Christian. It's a demonstration. It's your declaration to say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. As I was buried under the water, buried in the likeness of his death, I'm identifying with his death. I've risen in the likeness of his resurrection. Baptism is the opportunity to say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life that's what Paul had taught them but after he left there this 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 patronage culture this identity building project began to work itself out in the life of the church and Paul says listen yes I baptized a few people and he, he has to it's like he's, he's trying to call his memory yes I did Crispus and I did Gaius and oh yeah I forgot about that guy named Stephanus but he's saying listen it's not about me right don't attach yourself to me. Don't attach yourself just because I'm the apostle, I'm the pastor. It's not about me. Was I crucified for you? You were not baptized in my name. Now, you and I, don't, we don't live in a patronage culture. You say, Rob, why are you bringing this up? But we do live in a culture. Ask yourself. Not just you and me. That we, all of us go to offices and homes and schools tomorrow those of us who are parenting children, we do live in a culture that is preoccupied with the creation of personal identity. It's really important, right? What school you went to, what kind of car you drive, your cultural background, maybe your skin color, the people that follow you or that you follow, right? How about the out? sized preoccupation with gender identity in our culture today, okay? Now, in some sense, some sense, for people who do not have a deep faith 
in God or a personal relationship in Christ, it makes sense to me, okay, that people are obsessed with trying to create a brand, to try to create an identity, to try to go outside wherever I can go, to try to create some kind of meaning in life, to validate myself because we live in a world, ask yourself this, that seems to be coming apart at the seams. The, the, the places where we used to find value, community, home, family, you know, whatever it is. A lot of things where people used to, even in this culture, a generation or two ago, these things have been coming apart. So it kind of makes sense to me. I, I get it that people outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ are out there trying to do whatever they can to create some kind of identity. But for Christians... Okay, so Paul's talking to, this isn't an evangelism message, brothers and sisters, I appeal to you. These, for Christians for whom these deep needs have been satisfied, right, in him you have been enriched in every way, okay? We don't need to go to the world to be validated. Listen, we don't need to go to the world to get. We should be going into the world to give. Because God has met the deepest needs of my life. He's met the deepest identity needs in my life. I am who I am. You are my son in who I am well pleased. You are my daughter in who I am well pleased. I can walk into the world having my deepest needs satisfied for forgiveness and for love. And I can go into a broken world not to get to be validated, but to give and to serve. The church is supposed to be an alternate community in the larger community demonstrated by self-giving love. Is that true for me? Is that true for you? Is that true for us? Christianity should be the end of all self-identity building. Listen, we all long for a day when there will be no more murder, no more envy, no more shame, no more racism, no more fear, no more war, no more conflict, no more terrorism, no more snobbery, no more robbery, no more assault, no more malicious gossip. Don't we all long for a day? And I, I think we can say that day will never fully come until Jesus Christ comes back. Okay, however, however, we're supposed to be the movie trailer. The church, that's, you say, that's, what's the purpose? Why doesn't God just end this whole mess? This is why. Because the purpose of life is to learn how to love. That's it. So yes, we are never going to solve all the world's problems. I'm not saying that. But we are supposed to be an alternate city within the city, an alternate community within the community that demonstrates self-giving love. Am I doing that in my office tomorrow? Are you doing that at school tomorrow? Right? That's what it's about. It starts with us, but it has to begin with the end of self-identity building. If, if my neighbors are doing it, I get it because they don't know Christ. But for you and me, these needs have been satisfied. Second thing, heart of this message. The gospel is the power of God. See, how can you do that? You say, Rob, that's a great idea, but I live in the real world, okay? Paul's gonna give you the answer. The way that you and I can deepen and truly root our identity in Jesus Christ is through the power of the gospel. Listen carefully. He makes a statement here I would say it's the most important statement or one of the most important statements in all of the New Testament. The end of verse 18. For the message of the cross, listen, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. The idea 
that the Messiah was rejected, the idea that he, was, he shut his mouth, he did not answer his accusations, the idea that he allowed the God of the universe to, to, for soldiers to crucify him, that we, we are ultimately saved through a rejected and a, a crucified Messiah, it's ridiculous to those who are perishing, okay? You're not, you shouldn't expect to go into the world and expect non-Christians to understand why you live the way you live. That's what he's trying to say, okay? That you're not devoted to the self-validation project in your life. They, they want to know, why are you giving up on that? But to us who are being saved, this message is the power of God. Now, what does he mean by that? Listen very carefully. He does not mean that the gospel gives us power, Okay? To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel does not give us power. This is, this is bad thinking, bad Christianity. You know, this prosperity gospel kind of thing. What he's saying is that it is the power used to transform our lives. Okay? The gospel doesn't give you power. It's the power used to transform your lives. It does this not by appealing to human pride, Right? The gospel doesn't appeal, my goodness, to human pride. Think about that. That's the prosperity gospel. Come follow Jesus. Your problems will go away. Come follow Jesus. You'll be materially blessed. You've heard this on TV or so. You know, This is the, the gospel. The power of the gospel does not reach your life by appealing to your pride. The gospel changes you by confronting your pride. Okay, it's very, very different. It confronts your pride. It confronts my pride because pride's the thing that's the source of all the division in your life and in my life and in the world. It's what makes the world a miserable place. It confronts pride. By confronting the very self-validation project that's at the heart of our culture. If we, as believers, we are called to adjust our opinions Listen carefully. And ultimately our worldview to be in line with the gospel and the truth we have received. Okay? I mean, think about this. If, even if you're, uh, if you're a Christian and struggling with understanding what it means that Jesus is the Lord of your life, but a non-Christian. Imagine having a God that can't challenge you. Right? Who can't challenge the way that you think. Challenge the way that you live your life. Who can't, who, you know, whether you're a new Christian or you've been a Christian for many, many years. What good would a God be? Why would you want to serve a God? Why would you want to align yourself with a God who didn't have the right to challenge you? Right? But sometimes you go into Christian bookstores, or I should say regular bookstores, I'm in the religious section, and you think it's God as personal assistant. Right? You know, God is not your personal assistant. Right? Of course it's going to challenge your pride. The truth or the power of the gospel is this. Listen carefully. You've heard this. You are more sinful than you ever imagined. Okay? Full stop. You are more sinful than you ever imagined. That's why the apostle Paul says, listen. Oh my goodness. Was I crucified for you? Oh my goodness. You're going to say you were baptized in my name? Ah, stop. Paul's, Paul calls himself in another in, in 1 Timothy, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. You guys don't know what I did for a living before you met me, you know? I was a mercenary and I went out and hunted down people who were Christians in cities all over the world to see them killed. 
I was there at Stephen's uh, stoning, Acts chapter 8. I was the person who authorized that. Do not follow me. You know, and I would say the same thing. You are more sinful than you ever imagined. Listen, I am more sinful than I ever imagined, right? I have moments, more very rarely I'll think, I'm doing okay, you know? And then I realize as I get into the word of God, the envy and the judgment and the pride. And then I get to where Paul got in Romans 7, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? That's the apostle Paul. Don't follow me, right? This, this idea we have, we, we call them, I don't know, celebrity pastors, okay? If you pay attention to these things, some of us do, some of us don't. A lot of what's called well-known pastors, and even in the last few years, who've, you know, who've, who've stumbled or, or fallen for one reason or another, that shouldn't surprise us, but it also shouldn't discourage us, Right? Was, was, was so-and-so crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of so-and-so? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The power of the gospel begins by confronting your pride. You are more sinful than you ever imagined, but hold on, friend. The other part of the gospel. You are more loved than you ever dreamed. Okay? You are more loved than you ever dreamed this is the gospel but see you can't appreciate that you can't fully absorb that that's the power of the gospel until you first are confronted with your pride that's what's killing you that's what's killing me psalm 103 you want to know what it means that the the gospel is the power of god listen to these words this is the gospel as it's revealed in the book of Psalms. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse. He will, he will, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Hallelujah. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Okay? Let me give you the gospel in a tweet. Okay? He knows you to the bottom, and he loves you to the skies. That's what this passage says. He knows you to the bottom, right? He knows you to the bottom. I have this counselor friend of mine who went to seminary together, but he does counseling, marriage counseling, other kind of counseling. And he uses this question, you know, in various and sundry um, contexts. He has people close their eyes. What's the one thing you don't want anyone else to know about you? Okay, just say he was doing counseling. You know, husband, wife, maybe it's a group of men, whatever. What's the one thing you don't want anyone else to know about you? Okay? Let me say something as you bring that to mind. God already knows it. And he loves you anyway. He knows you to the bottom. He loves you to the skies. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the gospel. 
Christianity is the end of self-identity building. The gospel is the power of God. Now, here's the application. Salvation is a process, not an event, okay? Salvation is, if you really want this power, Paul's talking about here, the message of the cross, the gospel, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. They don't get it. It makes no sense to them that you would give up on the self-validation project of trying to create and cobble together some kind of identity to seek validation from others to build your own ego. It doesn't make sense that you would give up on that. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now watch this. To, thus, to those of us who are being saved. What does that mean, pastor? Does that mean I'm always, every day I have to wake up and I'm saved and unsaved, unsaved, saved again? No, it's not what it means. We are saved. Our sins are forgiven. When you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, some many of you have done that. You just put your faith and trust, maybe even as a kid or an adult, teenager, whatever. You put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, right? What we're talking about, that cross represents something that could happen 2,000 years ago. The Son of God, God sent his Son into the world. He lived a, a life a human life, but he did it without any sin. See? He did what you couldn't do. That's why they call him the second Adam. He did what no human being could do. He lived a life with a zip code, with family, with relationships, with, you know, issues that come in life, but he did it without any sin. He did that in your behalf. And then... He lived the life you couldn't live, and then he died the death that you deserve. It's the gospel, okay? He didn't do it. He had no reason to hang on that cross. He had no reason to go to, 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 go to court, and it, those were false accusations. But he kept his mouth shut, not for his sake, but for yours, okay? Now, when you trust Christ as your Savior, God grants you the forgiveness of sin. It's a gift, because you know that. The gospel confronts your pride, but he loves you more than you ever dreamed. So in that sense, your sins are wiped away. They're far as from the east as from the west. I just read that. And no one can ever point a finger at you or point a finger at me. That's true. But when Paul says you're being saved, he's saying, listen, now that you're a Christian in, 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 in the ledger in heaven, your, your, your salvation is secure. Now I want you to become from the inside out I want to save, is another word, of, another a synonym would be deliver. I want to remake your life. I want your salvation to actually be actualized in your life, in your thinking, in your feeling, in your behaving. We call, might call it sanctification. Well, that's a different process. And what does that mean, being saved? It means the power of the gospel. If you want the power of the gospel to change your life, you have to open yourself up to it. You have to, give your, you have to give it access into every area of your life. It's a lifetime of being confronted by the truth of God and being confronted by the love of God. You are more sinful than you ever imagined, full stop, but you are more loved than you ever dreamed. Here's the funny thing about that. The gospel in your life is a lifetime of being confronted by the truth of God and the love of God. But you know what's funny about people, maybe you too, is we have a harder time with the latter than we do with the former. 
Some of us are pretty good if we're honest to say, I'm a rotten sinner. It don't take me long to get there. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul says. But then we have a hard time believing, a harder time believing that although God knows you to the bottom, he loves you to the skies. We have a harder time receiving that. But if you really want your life to change, if you really want the power of the gospel, you need to see salvation as a process and you need to open yourself up to it. Back to what John Amile just said 30 minutes ago. It's not all about programs. It's about connecting with God, connecting with others, but getting engaged, opening up your life so that the power of the gospel can touch every area of your life. That's what it's about, okay? How about our four habits? Spending time with God, okay? So this is our, our launch Sunday. If you don't read the Bible every day in a thoughtful way, go start there. Go to our resources page, 365, right? I read 1 Corinthians, or I think it was 2 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning because it's on our, our list. I read it this morning before I got here. Get involved in the word of God. Second, you know, uh, uh, spend time with others. We're going to launch 80 or 90 people in a rooted group. Great, get in a small group, okay? Get involved, as John said, in the women's and men's ministry where you can build connection and get involved with others. That's how the power of the gospel changes your life. Listen, uh, know and use your gifts. Know and use your gifts. If you go to our Get Connected, it's right in the top of our, our, our navigation of our, our webpage. You go to the, th- immediately it'll say serve. I, I did this yesterday just for, I haven't done it in a little bit. Looked at all the opportunities to serve in the life of this church. That's how you get engaged. You open up that area of your life. How are we going to become a community, an alternate community in a community that demonstrates self-giving love? We have to get out there and start serving. Okay? And we need to sh- begin to share our faith with others. This is how you do it. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. What does it mean to, that salvation is a process? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Salvation is a process that what God has put in you What he's already declared to be true becomes actually true in your experience as you open every area of your life to this powerful gospel, to being confronted by the truth and by God's love every single day. If we can do that, right? If we'd all decide what's the next step or steps I need to take in allowing the power of the gospel to transform me and allow me to be engaged in helping to transform someone else, we will be a community, alternate community, in this community. In a world where the, that is coming apart, where people are truly looking for hope and salvation. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God and Father, thank you for this day. We love you. We ask for your grace and your peace to be with us. I pray for every person sitting here, um, student, adult, um, you know, mature Christian, new Christian, yet to be Christian. 
I pray, Lord, that you would get a hold of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to know the gospel, to open our lives to the power of the gospel in a more fuller way. Beginning today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.